Hello everybody and welcome to the latest episode of the Rover the Podcast. I'm your host Connor O'Neill, joined today by Joel Thomas and Chris Beasley as we look ahead to Everton's huge Premier League game against Liverpool and Anfield on Saturday afternoon and reflect on the news that come up early this week that Everton's disciplinary hearing into an alleged breach of the Premier League's profit and sustainability rules has already started. But gents, there is only one place to start and that is with tomorrow's game as we record on this Friday damp and wet Friday afternoon in Liverpool. Joe, come to you first. Games just don't get much bigger than this, do they, after an international break? <laughs> Absolutely not. Um, you know, one of the, the first game that we all look for when the when, when the fixture list comes out. It comes at an interesting time, really. Obviously, international break, you question whether it helps or hinders Everton. I think that, I think Deitch was quite frustrated, I think, at the time, in, because mm-hmm. Everton... Once once they got that win over Bournemouth, you could then look back on the the four games before and say they'd hit a little bit of form. Obviously, that was thrown into quite significant jeopardy by the, the Luton result in between. Um, but after the Bournemouth win and the emphatic nature of that, he was obviously able to say that I wouldn't got a little bit of positive momentum here to go into the derby. Um, and it might have been disrupted by it. But on the flip side, something I've kind of, written and said a lot over the past fortnight whilst Deitch doesn't think that you can get a huge amount out of international breaks because strategically you just lose key players all over the place to international duty one thing that he has been able to do probably for the first time this season is over the past fortnight he has had Jack Harrison there he has had Beto there he has had Dominic Calvert-Lewin there he has had Dwight McNeil there um and he's had Arno Danjuma there, and they've all been fit, and they've all been available. Uh, that is Everton's you know, first choice front five, uh, and you would think that they would have been able to get some good work together, I think, really, in terms of you know, building a relationship and some kind of attacking cohesion that will hopefully help Everton going forward. And obviously, Adelaide Corey and, and James Garner, two of the three potential centre midfielders sitting behind whichever of the front three that starts, uh, have also been there, so... So it was good opportunity for Everton. This, I think, obviously, we know that that Jurgen Klopp has mentioned, highlighted quite a lot the his displeasure at the amount of twelve thirty kickoffs on a Saturday that the, the Liverpool are getting. Here's another one. They have been slow starters in games for for a while. Everton, by contrast, are very very quick starters. Um, I think it could be a really interesting game tomorrow. To be honest. Chris, obviously, Everton going to Manfield is a daunting prospect for all Blue supporters. And I think if you just said a couple of weeks ago about Everton going to cross Stanley Park to Manfield, everyone would be in that little bit of dread and that little bit of fear. Mm-hmm. But Everton will actually arrive at Manfield tomorrow with a bit of form, with a bit of confidence, and, and who knows what could happen. <laughs> yeah, that's one, that's one way of putting it. I mean, that's an unfortunate thing. If you remember as many derbies as I do... Um, they talk about form going out the window in derbies. Um, I'm not too sure. Whatever Everton seem to be doing, they the problem has been. I mean, most of the time, obviously Liverpool have a, a stronger team than Everton. They have greater resources and usually have uh, more talented players. I think even the most staunch Evertonian, you know, would would admit to that. But the problem has been that um, too many times over such a long period now, no matter where. Both sides are on the table, or how they're doing. 
Everton haven't played to capacity in, in, in derby matches, haven't played to the full potential. And that's the great concern. We all know, I mean, Dyke said in his pre-match press conference, um, you know, what a, what a good outfit Liverpool are, you know, the, the talent that they've got in their ranks. But Evertonians just want to see Everton um, playing to the best of their ability. I mean, there was a time, going back to... Um, when I was younger in the, in the 90s, I, re, I remember, you know, that back then, and Liverpool had a very good team then, I mean, but they were they were kind of dubbed the Spice Boys at the time um, because um, maybe, you know, they didn't have the greatest backbone and then Joe Royal had his self-styled Dogs of War and uh, Joe never um, lost a derby um, to Liverpool over over five games and for, just for a time, seems a long time ago now, having had the Indian sign over Liverpool, whereas in recent times, just been far too one-sided a fixture and it's not just because Liverpool are a better team it's just Everton haven't turned up in terms of like mentally for these occasions remember the last derby at Anfield um, Sean Dyche's first away game obviously that that terrific result and performance against Arsenal his first game go to Anfield hardly laid a glove on them um, ended up getting beat 2-0 and um, it was like that pantomime scuffle towards the end. Where it was almost like, oh, I better show a bit of fight here just to sort of keep up appearances. So, yeah, it, 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 they do go into this game on the back of three wins out of four, as Joe says, albeit punctuated by that terrible um, Luton Town game in, in between all of that. But, yeah, you just want, just want the, 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 the real Everton to, to, to turn up and at least, you're not demanding victory, but make a good account of themselves and play to their potential. Joe, this this game tomorrow because obviously Sean Dyche has spoke at length a lot this season where things have gone bad or things have gone good about you know how he sees this progress and the signs that things move in the right direction even whenever it's been beaten once the transfer they've created etc. But in order to kind of prove that things are moving in the right direction that he is finally you know getting his imprint on this team, there'll be no finer way than to go and get a positive result. I don't feel tomorrow is need to say you know this is proof that we are moving in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, obviously that that that'd be a huge a huge string to his bow. Um, I think really for there to be for him to be able to make that case, he probably needs to win one of the next three games in the in the Premier League. Um, you know, I think we all know and understand that it's going to be difficult at Anfield tomorrow. Certainly not impossible, but difficult. But when you look at the next few games before the next international break, obviously it's Anfield, then it's away at West Ham, then it's at home to Brighton. All three very difficult games against you know sides that are in Europe this season, and obviously, you know it's certainly in Brighton and West Ham's cases sides that have risen on a positive trajectory that I think you know most Everton supporters would 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 you know, would, would would have hoped their own club mm. would have. Would have done would have done similar, um, and he he probably needs to pick up a result from one of those three games. All three of those games are going to be very difficult. Um, the where the Bournemouth result helped us, it takes a little bit of the pressure going uh, off going into this derby. It does feel the four, last fortnight has felt a lot more comfortable than than perhaps the week before then after the Luton game. Given how how much pressure there was to win that Bournemouth game, it really has kind of relieve some of the, the the pressure and what Deitch now needs to do if he is to kind of make that case for there is sustainable progress that's being made as opposed to having to just living from day to day result to result and hoping that enough is good enough then they need to probably start pulling out the odd result like you know 
Obviously, it'd be a landmark win if they were to go to Anfield and win. Um, but perhaps at, at West Ham or, or, or against Brighton, just to kind of add some flesh to the bone and just keep their heads above the water, create a bit of a buffer zone to to, to the bottom three. Um, yeah, it was really interesting listening to Deitch talk yesterday because there, there are times when he opens up a little bit more. And yeah, so normally after better runs of results, uh, and some of the you know, the insights can be quite telling. And I, I think that one of the things was quite clear yesterday was that, you know, he understood the the importance and the size and the magnitude of, of a Merseyside derby. Um, I think just speaking to him, obviously some people have seen the stuff, the, the press conference that was live, but then in the, you know, the, the, the separate bit after, which I'm, I'm part of, and you know, speaking to him off the camera, you know, I don't think there's any, I wasn't left in any doubt that he was aware of the kind of, you know, the, you know, the significance of this and how much of a privilege it was to view something, an occasion this big from the inside, which of course, you know, he, he had a, a you know really good playing career and, and, you know, we all know what he's done as a manager, but, you know, it's the first time that he's perhaps reached this echelons of, of uh, the, these heights of the game. And it's good to see that he kind of has that understanding awareness and, and you, you hope that, he is able to drum that into the players because I think, sadly, I think a lot of people listening to this would assume and hope that the players wouldn't need telling that. But unfortunately, there have been too many occasions over recent years where that hasn't been on show. And you know, Chris alluded to it then, but the Anfield defeat was was so disappointing last season. What was the, yeah, the score? Yeah, come away from a 2-0 defeat, obviously hit the post before Everton, uh, before Liverpool went at the other end and and scored, but it wasn't necessarily the result. It was the manner of it. Everton was so docile, so flaccid. They just, like Chris said, the, the, the fight at the end was almost a bit of a pantomime scenario where it was like, as if a couple of players have got, you know, we've not been able to show that we, that, you know, that we have the fight on the pitch. We've got to make up for it in the last minute by, you know, having a little bit of a scuffle with a few players, pulling a few shirts and shoving a few players and things like that, almost to kind of, cover up the, the, the 78 odd minutes that had happened before and because Everton were, were, were terrible. It really undermined the, the, the wonderful performance of Winner and it was so good about the, the victory over Arsenal the, the week before. So, you know, I think one thing that Everton and, and, and Dyke certainly needs to do this time is they really, really need, and almost as important as getting any result is they need to show some fights. They need to show some determination, some resilience, some passion, some battle. Um, you know, I don't think they should necessarily be scared of this Liverpool side. Uh, and this is an Everton side that can be aggressive, can be tenacious, can hustle and harry opponents and good quality opponents, as we've seen against Villa and, and, and Brentford this season. So, you know, it's 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 a big game. It would be a it would be absolutely incredible if Everton were able to get something from it. Um, but they don't necessarily need to get a win for Deitch to show that to have a case to say that some progress is being made. I think a lot of it would be the manner of the performance tomorrow as well. And then crucial to that is if they don't get a result, but do get something they can take from the performance and building on that to get a result against West Ham or Brighton. Obviously, you know, what Joe says there is correct in terms of them characteristics of what everyone wants to see from Everton. But how important do you think tomorrow is in terms of Everton off to a good start? Because obviously... We saw that in Sluton, you know, Everton started well, but couldn't get a goal. But then against Bournemouth, you know, they started on the front foot, get a goal after eight minutes. They just seemed to relax everyone. And Everton were able to play with a little bit more freedom than we've seen them play 
in recent time. So it's paramount goal is it that Everton get off to the best possible start they can. They don't go behind early doors and are chasing the tails or you know fearing the worst. Yeah, I definitely think so. I mean, I guess statistics at most clubs are that you know if you if you score first, you do tend to win. I don't know the whole science across that with other teams, but it was pointed out in recent times um, about what Evans' particular statistic is with this. And it was interesting because obviously Jordan Pickford came back from international duty in the week, qualified for another major tournament with England, defeated um, Italy in a repeat of obviously the last Euros final at Wembley. And uh, England obviously came from behind to win 3-1. And Jordan was asked after the game, did you ever think you, you weren't going to win this? And uh, he, he said, no, no, we didn't say that. You know, we, we'd worked on it all week and we, we knew what we were going to do. We, we came back and obviously kept patience and, and got the victory. So he's got that mentality with the free Lions. So he'd, he'd, he'd love to bring that back to Everton because it was pointed out that um, under Deitch, um, every, when Everton have scored first in a Premier League game, they've never actually lost Um and conversely, when the opponents have scored first, they never actually won. I think the only time they've come from behind to win any game was the uh, um, the Doncaster Rovers in the Carabao Cup, a team at the foot of the League mm-hmm. Two table. So against the Premier League peers, it seems to be absolutely crucial. And so we've talked about it so many times in recent seasons, um, the mentality of this Everton squad and whether they are fragile or just if they've got something from a sporting point of view, from a football point of view, a lead to, to hold on to. It's something Joe's discussed many times. But whatever it is, because we've had changes in personnel. I mean, we were saying this under Marco Silva, and, you know, there's a lot of different players now. There does seem to be that fragility where if they do, you know, like Luton Town game, you know, okay, they were losing, but they still should have had enough in the tank and enough time there to to keep patience and to turn things around, and they didn't. So, yeah, I would say it, it is it, it, it is crucially important for them to get off to a good start. And if they were to to get to get a, an early goal, I'm doing a piece today about the three occasions that Everton have actually won at Anfield in, in the Premier League era. And uh, the last two of those, they, obviously, uh, Richarlison during the coronavirus when it was played behind closed doors, and then Kevin Campbell in 1999, both of those were like very early goals, third minute for Richardson, fourth minute for Campbell and able to to cling on. So I think with this current Deitch team and the st- stats that have been borne out with them, definitely an important factor. Joe, you know, looking ahead to Saturday's game, tomorrow's game, I think we can all kind of half predict what the team is going to be. But I think Deitch has somewhat of a conundrum when it comes to midfield, given, you know, James Garner mm-hmm. done so well against Bournemouth in, in the middle of the park. Obviously, just a guy and missed out from that game due to injury. Amazon Nana coming in as a, as a last-minute replacement for him. But obviously, tomorrow, Sean Dyche has every available option to him in terms of Garner, James Garner, Onana, Decore. Although I would like to see us stick with the three that starts against the win over Bournemouth, there was something Sam that thinks Adrissa Garner game will come back in. What do you think? Yeah, I think what well, James Garner's the big question, isn't it? I, I think mm. that Garner's in a position where he's essentially become undroppable due to his performances yeah. over the past, you know, four to six weeks. Whether that be you know, out wide as he did against um, against Brentford, whether it be in the middle like he did against Villa when he was was partnered with Anana, or whether it be in the middle like he was when he was so effective against Bournemouth Bournemouth the other week. So that's the that's the big question, I think. Does Garner play in the middle? James Garner play in the middle? His favourite position, that is, definitely sees that as his best position as well, but he's also a fan of his versatility. Or do we see Garner move over to the right of midfield and 
And that's the conundrum I know from my notifications and timelines that the vast majority of people that are messaging me are saying it's got to be James Garner in the middle. They're saying two things about tomorrow. One, James Garner has to start in the middle. Mm-hmm. And two, Everton have to be ambitious tomorrow. Yeah, they have to go there on the front foot. But I think supporters would be disappointed if they if Deitch turned up, put 10 men on the edge of the box and, and defended for... Uh, for, yeah, for for most of the game, which is a, it's a difficult one because you you kind of you weigh up the it's almost your heart versus your head. I think everybody wants to go there and take the game to Liverpool. That's completely understandable, but it's also trying to work out what the most effective way of of getting a a positive result from there would would be. And yeah, there probably is an argument to say that James Garner out on the right of midfield operating the way that he did against Brentford you know, kind of leading that press and, and with the, the, the traditional free and centre midfield, yeah, I could see why Deitch might might want to do that, but it would feel a little bit of a gamble, I think, if he did, bearing in mind where public sentiment is at, at this moment. I also think, I think it's probably quite interesting as well to, to work out almost how much the international break might have changed Deitch's perspective on this, because obviously two weeks ago, this question would have been asked within the context of, of Andy Robertson starting at left back, whereas mm. you know he picked up that injury now that's going to rule him out for for, for a while. So it's it's more than likely going to be Costa Simicus at, at left back for Liverpool, um, who is you know with all respect to him, and, you know not of the same caliber as as a player as, as Robertson. So then, what do you do? Do you go? Simicast perhaps might not be as comfortable on the ball, so you get Garner there just absolutely relentlessly pursuing him, hoping to capitalise on a mistake like he did for the goal against Bournemouth. Or do you actually go the other way and you go, well, Jack Harrison, you know, running at him, taking him on, um, trying to expose his defensive frailties might be the best way forward. Um, if I'm honest, it's the answer. I'm, I'm not entirely sure. I kind of I haven't given up on trying to predict Dykes because I think more often than not, and this is probably due to the nature of, 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 of the thinness of the squad, you can normally get to nine of the 11 without really having to kind of exercise your mind. Um, but I do kind of, he, he does like to throw in the odd quirky one. I remember at Brentford, the win against Brentford, I thought it was a gamble when he put Garner on the right of midfield because he meant dropping Dan Juma. And I think where, where public sentiment, or at least from the Evan fans, was at that point was that was a negative change, a defensive change at a result at a time that Everton needed a positive result. And obviously he did that and it had an incredibly positive impact. They got the win. Um, so fair, you know, fair play to him for that. But Garner has definitely made a very strong case for the centre midfield. And one thing that Deitch, I don't think, can necessarily say is... I'm not sure he can fall back on the argument to say that the game is too big or important or the opponent's too lofty to try someone who's less experienced in that role than, say, obviously Idrissa Gay. Um, because this time last season, when it came to this uh, this fixture, he threw Alice Sims up front to start, mm-hmm. which was was all by surprise, you know, a, a, a bold move to put, um, put a young player with limited Premier League experience in, in at the deep end. So... Yeah, with with that history, you think that that would suggest that obviously Garner has more experience at Premier League level than, than Ella Sims did, but he's still a very young player at the beginning of his career in the centre midfield at, at this level. Um, but that's that's a conundrum that he's got. 
the easiest thing for Deitch to do, I think, is stick with James Garner in the middle and say, I'm sticking with a winning side. And I think that if he was to do that, it would also be easier because I think the fans would be willing to give him more leeway if the game didn't go however unwanted. However, obviously his job isn't necessarily to, to curry favour with the fans through tactics, it's to do it through results. And that's what he's got way up when he, when he picks his 11 tomorrow. We can all know what's going to happen now with Costa Simicas after that, Joe. He's going to have the game. <laughs> <laughs> but no, these Joe makes a good point there, doesn't he? Because obviously, does Sean Dyche stick with the winning team or does he change things up? If you was in Sean Dyche's shoes, what would you be doing? Uh, I'd be getting at the left back. I think for, for me, that's why you got to have Jack Harrison on him. Um, so it's you know, there's not there's not going to be many areas that um, Evan are able to pinpoint for Liverpool. You know, are potentially having a weak link in there or um, somebody you can try and expose. So whatever you can get, I would try and get the advantage and have them all. You know, naturally attack minded um, player in that area. And um, we all know what. How consistent Andy Robertson's been for him in that position over the years. He's been uh, quite the torment for Everton. He was in he was in the thick of that little uh, scuffle as well towards the end. There's a proper wind up merchant as much as he's you know uh, <laughs> seems to be the, the model pro off the field. You know you know in the, the heat of the derby battle. You know he he's going to be there or thereabouts. And there's been a few incidents over the years. So yeah, also terrific player as well. You know whatever your allegiances, you know what a what a talent he is. So for him to be missing. Yeah, I'd have, I'd have Jack Harrison. And then I just think James Garner has earned his place in the middle as well. I remember he said to me after that, you know, he came, to be fair to James, he came out and spoke after that harrowing 4-0 defeat at Aston Villa back in August. And um, it was I asked him then what his favourite, you know, where he preferred to play and it would have been easy for him to say, oh, I'll go wherever the gaffer puts me. But he said, no, I prefer to play in the middle. That's my favourite position. And we're seeing that now as much as Deitch's, um Likes the fact that he is versatile and he's clever enough and talented enough to do that. You know, the manager referenced that again in his press conference yesterday. He's useful for him in the fact that he can operate in other areas. I think he's earned that right in the middle now. And as, as Joe said, it, it'd be a bold move and he can sort of fall behind. Of, not that he's looking for excuses, but you know, saying that, you know, stick with a, a winning team rather than put Adrissa Gay back in there. Because um, I suppose on the one hand, you say, well, if there is a game that you want Idrissa Gay to be coming in, it'd be sort of a, a tough one like this. But being overly cautious hasn't sort of um, benefited Everton at all, really, in these, these fixtures in recent times. So, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd stick with James. Because I want to see James Garner in the middle and I want to see Jack Harrison, who obviously we talked the other day on the podcast, that goal when Joe and I were speaking, he scored against Bournemouth. Not too many players could score a goal like that. And um, if he was to do something like that in a Merseyside derby, um, I think he's made no uh, secret the fact that he was a, a boyhood Liverpool fan. And uh, if he was to to sort of, uh, I mean, he scored at Anfield, doesn't he already for Leeds United? If he was to pull something out, out like that out the bag forever, then it could make the difference. One man who we spoke a lot about on this podcast over the years is Dominic Calvert-Lewin. But unlike in previous times, today we're not talking about whether he'll be available or whether the latest injury or how long he's going to be out for, because thankfully he has been back fit and firing in recent weeks. And it was obviously October 2020 when Calvert Lewin scored against Liverpool at Goodison in a 2 2 draw, and he was absolutely superb that day. And Joe, it does feel now, doesn't it, as if like Sean Dyche's patience, the way he's managed Calvert Lewin, 
he's reaping the benefits of that little bit of time, that little bit of easing on back in, because in recent weeks, I know we spoke about it, but he's been absolutely superb. Yeah, he has. He has obviously started the last three. Come, he's, he's been involved in each of the last five games. And within that run, he scored three goals. Um, you know, I don't think we've had a a, a consistency like that from, from Dominic Calvert-Lewin since you know, the beginning half. So we deserve, certainly didn't have it last season. Um, and you know, I'm not sure we had it the season before. So, you know, it, it really... The, you know, the the patience has paid off. Uh, the approach has paid off with 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 Deitch to Calvert Lewin. I mean, it's an actual break where Calvert Lewin kind of heaping praise on Deitch for the way in which he was able to do that. Um, so I think the I think Deitch deserves a lot of credit for the way in which he's handled Dominic Calvert and one or two others as well. In in, in fairness, uh, Jack Harrison perhaps being another one because it's been quite interesting listening to what people have been saying in relation to Harrison's comeback where. It's quite interesting that Calvert Lewin, obviously, the time has been the effort has been be as patient as possible with with Harrison. It sounds like Harrison's been quite keen to get back ahead of schedule, yeah. and Deitch has taken the position to trust the player and trust his interpretation of his body to get him back a little bit earlier. So I think it you know, it shows that Deitch is willing to kind of be adapt adaptable to each player's situation, and he's getting an increasing track record of it of being proven right with it. You know, um, we spoke with Sean Deitch about this yesterday and, you know, put Calvert-Lewin's comments back to him to see you know, what he thought. And I thought it was quite interesting, really, because, you know, I wrote a piece on it that, that went online this, this morning with Deitch talking about his own playing career. And, you know, he, he had a time in 1997, he moved to Bristol City and he was a, a big signing for the club at the time. A lot of expectation, a lot of pressure, suffered a bad back injury and then trying to play through it, trying to rush himself back, trying to take on the, you know, the mantle of, of I can, you know, I can do this, I can play through the niggles, but then putting in poor performances and getting booed off by his own fans as a result. You know, I thought it was quite tough. I thought it was, it was quite insightful, really, until you, it's easy to kind of to look down and say, well, you know, that wasn't at the you know, top flight level, things like that. I mean, it's, it's hugely important experience and it's obviously shaped him and the manager that he is today and that's shaping the decisions that he's making today. Um, and I, I thought, I thought, yeah, it was quite interesting to, to see how Deitch's own experiences as a player and the pain and pressure and having to deal with that expectation um, in the context of your own body. And that's difficulties. I thought, I thought it was really quite telling. But yeah, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, you know, he looks to be back, obviously, touchwood. Um, I think, you know, I, I said there he's played five consecutive fixtures, obviously, since he came back for the second half against against Arsenal. I think what's probably even more promising for, for Everton is you can extrapolate that over a longer period because really the injury that kept him out for those few games after Villa was the facial injury. His mm. body was ready for the second game of the season and has been ready since then. Uh, you know, it was just obviously the the cheek the cheek injury suffered after colliding with with Martinez that then kept him out for a little bit, and then on top of all that, so he's been you know he's been available from game two to game eight effectively, and then he's just had another fortnight week just break just to top it all off as well. So it really really is promising, and actually I think the you know one of the things I started this podcast talking about was what Deitch was. You know, talking about the momentum and how the international breaks can kill momentum. And I actually think that this season, the way in which it, it you know, it's just transpiring, because obviously there will be a third international break before we, we even get to Christmas, which just feels, it just feels like nonsense, to be perfectly honest. 
But what it does for Sean Dyche when he's got such a threadbare squad is it gives him constant... He can, he can break up the first half of the season into little passages of, of weeks and games and he can handle and take care of the players over each tranche of fixtures. And when you've got players like you know, like Dominic Calvillian, who has had issues with injuries over recent seasons, it just gives him the opportunity to manage him so much more carefully. And you know, the pressure isn't even there of an upcoming game to raise the question as to whether or not you risk him or things like that. So, you know, Evan are in a really positive place with Calvert-Lewin, I think, as it stands. And, you yeah, that's obviously so crucial because, you know, if Calvert-Lewin, if he, if he starts 25 games plus this season, then, then I think Everton stay up with, with, with little trouble. I'm not saying they, they climb too high up the table, but I think that'll be, be enough to take them out of a relegation battle. So, I mean, it, it really is important. It really is promising. Um, so, yeah, it's got to keep creating the chances for him, which, you know, XG was one of the talking points of the first eight games of the season. It'll be interesting to see how that holds up now Everton come across better defences over a prolonged period of time. In terms of battles, though, bees, but obviously, you know, it's all about small marginal games in, in professional sport these days. But in terms of battles, you would like to think, wouldn't you, that Calvert-Lewin could give the Liverpool back line, the two centre-backs who have had moments of struggle this season, if, if we're being honest, a tough afternoon. Yeah, then that's um, one thing about Calvert-Lewin, isn't he? Certainly, in, from an aerial perspective, there are a few better in, in the Premier League. He's a big, strong lad, look after himself and can get in, the, in the, the mix of things. So, yeah, uh, why not? Um, he's, he's also um, got the uh, the honour of... He's won two penalties at Anfield uh, in, in, in recent seasons as well. I mean, don't get too many of them, do you? Certainly as an opposition side, certainly as an Everton team going to Anfield. And I know, like, um, the neighbours weren't too pleased about those decisions, but I can't see any complaints with those. So uh, whether there are fans in there or not... Um, yeah, that's all. You know, could be could be a difference, couldn't it? I mean, um, I know uh, Frank Lampard was complaining about referees in this fixture. He got himself into trouble, didn't he, um, after his trip to uh, to Anfield? But yeah, they, they, if, if Dom can uh, see do a little spin or a little run or something and get get behind uh, the centre backs, um, who knows? Mate, have a, have a decision for the the, the referee um, to make it. Just be interesting to see if he actually stepped up and uh, took any resultant spot kick himself because obviously be determined to carry on his, his recent scoring spree. But yeah, he's, he's certainly one. If you have a fit and fire in Dominic Calvert-Lewin, that is that is one of the other ways in which uh, you, you could get at, um, at Liverpool and sort of without harking back too much to a, a bygone era, like I was talking about before with the, uh, you know, the, the dogs of war against the, 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 the spice. But uh, I mean, that's, that's what Everton need to do. They do have a degree of physicality. Opposition managers are always talking about the size of the Everton players and, you know, setting balls and things like that and the, how they should be um, a threat from set pieces. So uh, let's see a bit of that. Off the pitch this week, gents, there was some big news and that was that the hearing into Everton's charging Premier League profit and sustainability rules has already has commenced. Obviously, it was believed that it was going to start next Wednesday, but it started this week. Joe, I know you're going to write about this a little bit later on. I'll be into it online and tomorrow's paper. But I don't think it'll be underestimated kind of just how big this year actually is for Everton Football Club. It really is significant. Um, I think we can attach a large degree of importance to it despite not knowing a huge amount mm-hmm. about it. 
obviously the the the, the details that are being made public are incredibly vague. Um, and I think one of the interesting things that will that, that I'm looking out for is really once this concludes to see what does end up in the public domain, mm. you know, regardless of which way the decision comes, will will the Premier League give us more insight into what the allegation was and and what the cases of the two sides were. Um, time frame is also an interesting one as well because obviously whilst we know it's underway now, I don't think we're expecting a decision imminently. Um, it sounds like we're probably going to get a, a conclusion next month, but then, you know, if uh, I think this is the case that if if both sides have the right to appeal, then you know what would that mean? Would that mean that you know, come next month we would be told that the process is still active and mm. not be told what it was all about and which way the the, the, the commission came down on. You know, and, and how long would an appeal kind of you know, backtrack things? So it, it's, I mean, it is obviously fascinating. It's very difficult in the sense that we we know such little about what's going on. We don't know what we will find out beyond what the verdict is and a punishment if one is deemed uh, required. Obviously, Evan deny any wrongdoing, and if, if if they can stand up that case, and then, then no punishment would be be necessary. Um, and also the fact that there is no precedent, Everton are setting the precedent here because although Manchester City have, have, have received a huge number of charges from of, of a similar nature, obviously their case hasn't hasn't progressed um, due, due to the size of it, I guess, but the, the, the complexity as a result. So Everton are the guinea pig here. Um, so, so we just have such a little to go on, but obviously we know that some of the uh, potential punishments, if Everton were to found a breach, well, there isn't a positive one there for Everton, is there? So, you know, one could be a points deduction. Well, that would make a very difficult season even harder. It could be, you know, potentially be a transfer ban. I mean, if that was to be the case next summer, then that would be a really, really fascinating one for Everton to try deal with because if Everton would suffer a transfer ban next summer, well, if you look at this, I mean, it's already a small squad and there's a, a significant amount of players that will be out of contract next summer. One players that you would think that the club would probably prefer to see their contracts expire rather mm-hmm. than offer new deals because they can't sign other players and then, often, then just end up being trapped in the same circle that they're already in. Um, and then fine being the other one, which again, the Premier League will be under pressure to dole out a fine the other clubs see as a deterrent to wrongdoing if any is found. But obviously against that backdrop, you know, Everson's finances are in a particularly strong position at the minute and they'll have to weigh up around the impact that, that any financial punishment would have on, on, on the current position of the club. So, I mean, we know next to nothing about this. Um, and we're, and even the Premier League, I guess, is, is, you know, is, is you know, setting precedent through this process. But there isn't any way of escaping the fact that it's a, you know, a, a, it's a case that's going to have huge implications for Everton Football Club. And, this is a, a position that the Premier League is going to find itself in not once, but but obviously twice um, over the, the coming months because it's the Premier League that will also be playing a significant role in relation to approval or turning down the, the takeover attempt for 777 partners. So you know, you, when you look at when you look at who holds the cards when it comes to Everton's future, it's easy to look at 777 and Josh Wander. It's easy to look at... Farhad Mashiri, it's easy to look at you know, rights and media funding and some of the other um, people and groups and companies Evan have got loans from. But 
probably the people that have the biggest influence on where Evans' short-term and long-term future lies is, is going to be the Premier League and the decision-making pro the two decision-making processes that they have to embark on. Obviously, if the commission come back, which is independent, the Premier League comes back and find Evans haven't breached anything, then the Premier League don't have to decide on a, on a punishment because there wouldn't be one. So, But either way, you know, Evans' future lies very much in the Premier League's hands and a lot of this is taking place behind closed doors, which isn't ideal. I think a bit more transparency might be helpful. Maybe we'll get that further down the, the process and at that point we can we can um, judge how fit and proper we, we, we see the processes and fit for purpose they are. But unfortunately, Evan have put themselves in a situation where, they, where they're the guinea pig. Um, so, you know, it's just going to be an interesting few few weeks and few months. But, you know, when, when we do find out, obviously we'll be reporting it and an- analysing it in as much detail as we possibly can. To coin a phrase, bees, what Sean Dice likes to use, there's a lot of noise around Everton. <laughs> it's just going, no signs of going anywhere, is it? <laughs> yeah, we know. Um, he said, didn't he? And obviously, his, his, uh, his recent discussions have come come out with the, mm-hmm. the BBC, um, and then nothing, Everton, nothing will be the same. Uh, I think there was a couple of different ones where he actually uh, contradicted himself somewhat. But it went a lot. What they went along the lines of he was at Burnley for nine and a half years, and he had about one booking in from that one, and then he reckoned he had about freeing him from his time at Everton already. Um, I think he may have actually done a second quote where he said that number's now gone up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> a whole um, series of uh, Deitch books in the yeah. He, he was asked about this. Perhaps it's a bit unfair, but it's inevitable that he was asked about it in the press conference, and he said he was concentrating on the things that he can control because he's like he's like the the, the rest of us. Um, I'm not saying he'd be in the dark. I'm sure he's privy to a lot more information on this than than you and I. But um, yeah, it's not something he can control. He can only um, um, influence those uh, um, events um, on the pitch. Yeah, like like Joe says that the, the the problem with this is is it's just so little detail has come out. We know that Everton faces one charge, but there's, it's never actually been said what it is. We, you know, we might all have an understanding what it what it relates to, but it's not like uh, whatever the charge is. And um, if, if they were to be guilty, then obviously there there would have to be um, some kind of repercussions for that. But it just seems strange in that after all those years of. Um, often wasteful spend for Everton. This is coming at a time when they've hardly spent Everton anything at all in the transfer market and certainly have recouped a lot more than, they, than, they, than they've actually spent. So it does seem very odd. But um, yeah, it, it, uh, and Joe said it, it's likely to, to rumble on just because a decision either way might be reached uh, next week. That will probably not be the, the end of the matter. Gents, it's that time of the week again. It's back. Predictions. Joel, let's start with you. What are you going for tomorrow? Go for 1-1. One, one, go for... Well, sit on the fence for 1-1. Well, yeah, that's it. Everton to come out fast, yeah. get an early goal, um, and then, yeah, end up being pushed further and further back and then Liverpool get an equaliser at some point. But, um, you know, a competitive derby where Everton come away with, with, with plenty to do, you know, a performance and at least a point, I, I, think, it's, I think it's definitely... Uh, a possibility tomorrow. I'm really looking forward to it. What's the feeling the Beasley household's optimistic? Well, the Beasley household, <laughs> collective um, <laughs> prediction. You, know, you could get five different ones. No, um, <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, um, 
I've already been asked about this earlier this week, so I can't go go back on it. I was asked by our, our esteemed colleague, uh, Tom Kavir, who's uh, shortly heading off to South America where he might encounter some guinea pigs of, of <laughs> health. And um, he asked me about this, um, and I was a bit coy at first. I said, we've got bigger th- he said, we've got bigger things to concern ourselves with at, at Everton at the moment, like whether there's going to be a football club um, to be covering uh, next season. But he, press- he kept pressing me on this matter, and the, the way... The way that Tom does, oh, but he wanted to know my prediction for the weekend. And I said, "Well, I said I predict that um, all the fifty-fifties will go Liverpool's way. That the, the that the Anfield crowd will become will be complaining about the over physicality from the Everton players, but in reality, they're not going to do anything near enough. They won't lay a glove on Liverpool again. And for about the third straight visit to Anfield, I'm afraid I'm going to have to say this: two um, 0 Liverpool. Oh, please." Oh. After that big build up there, I thought you were going to hit us with yeah. a nice positive score, weren't you? No, no, <laughs> that's the way you have me. Don't you deliver that pile driver? Well, in yeah. all of this, leave a positive note after Chris's 2 0 Liverpool prediction. I am going to go 1 0 Everton. I think they yeah. will edge it just in a far from classic, scrappy affair. And I wouldn't be surprised if he scored off a set piece. Well, glad you went last, sir, Connor. I like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We will, of course, be back on Monday to look back on the game around Fields on Saturday and, of course, react to all the latest news around Everton because it is certainly not quiet at the minute on and off the pitch. But for today, Joe, please thank you much for joining me. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. 